Now, would you do me the greatest privilege? And would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, the 8th chapter. And I want you to note one of the most dynamic places in the Word of God. Um, I think if you read through it, as I did, just haphazardly, I think you'd say, well, what's there? There's not a lot, really, to be taught. On the, on the contrary, in, in, in Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 to 35, we have just seen um, Israel go through their first defeat in the Promised Land. They went and overtook the city of Jericho quite simply because God said, march with me around the city. And they marched around that city for seven days, 13 times. After the 13th time, the walls fell down. They captured the city with no problem at all. God said, everything that's in the city is to be mine. It is my treasury. It is my band. You are not to touch it. Well, unbeknownst to Joshua, um, a man and his family, a man named Achan, took some of the of the jewelry, some of the gold and the silver and some of the bounty that was in that city and he, he hid it underneath his, his tent. When they went off to fight in Ai, as I mentioned to you last week, uh, Joshua went uh, without really um, asking of God. He kind of felt, okay, I understand how this works. I know how to defeat these people. I can defeat Ai because Ai is just a small place compared to uh, Jericho. And so they rushed off to defeat Ai. And, and as we learned, Ai chased them out of their city and they chased them down the hill and, and killed 36 of, of the Israelites. To which Joshua then fell on his face before God saying, Oh, what, should, what took place? What just happened? And then remember the, the insult of insult. He said to God, what, what will you do with your name? Your name will be uh, uh, disrespected here. And as I said to you last week, we don't have to worry about what God will do with His name. He will take care of His name. What we have to worry about is what will we do with ourselves? How will we care for ourselves? And so God let Joshua know there is sin in the camp. Joshua, you need to find out where it is. And so they did it by uh, casting lots and they found that, that Achan, bless his heart. I, I have such an infinity for Achan uh, because... I think all of us are bent towards sin. All of us sin to one degree or another. And, and, and um, it just hurts my heart that poor Aiken, um, and maybe I'm over, overdoing it, but I, I do have a heartbeat for Aiken. And, uh, and Aiken had to confess, and, and he did so willingly, confessed to Joshua all that he had done. And, uh, and then Israel went against Ai and defeated them. And God gave, gave Joshua a plan saying you should ambush them. You should send out people behind the city and, and then send people in front of the city. When they come out to, because of their overconfidence, they beat you before. They'll come out, rush against you. And when they chase you, then all the people who are behind the city can come in, take over the city and burn it down. And that's exactly what they did. And now, in this victory... Joshua takes the people 30 miles north of where they are staying to a place called Shechem. And there they honor God, just as Moses had asked them to do. I want you to take a note of what we're going to read in these six verses. Look at verse 34. It says in verse 34, we're going to read it all in a moment. Then afterwards, 
Joshua read all the words of the law. You might want to note that. He read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curse. It also says that he read in verse 35, before all the assembly of Israel, women, little ones, and even the strangers who were living among them. In other words, everybody heard all the word of the law, both the blessings as well as the curses. It is obvious to me that God desires that all of His words be heard and dealt with. The good as well as what we might consider the bad. You see, our God knows that you and I can deal with the truth. All He wants us to hear is all of His truth so that you and I can make an intelligent decision concerning what we hear and what we desire to believe. It's like this young man, York said, Rourke said in this, in, in this video. He came in as an agnostic. He heard the truth being taught by Pastor Bill and by others. And he gave his heart to the Lord. You see, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is my responsibility, my job, if you would, as a teacher and as a pastor to give you the whole counsel of the Word of God. I have no right to go and say, I better not say these things because if I say this, it might turn some of the people off. And so let me water it down. Let me justify maybe what God has done. You see, in seeker-friendly churches today across this United States of America, which is becoming quite popular, pastors and staffs are deciding what the people ought to hear and what they ought not to hear. They're deciding for to get, get visitors in, they, they should have plays, um, more activities, more things that will entice people to come to church. And God has never given us that privilege. God has told us we are to teach the whole counsel of His Word. He will take His Word and He will give it out to whom He desires to give it out to and He will not allow His Word to come back void. It will accomplish what God has desired for it to accomplish to do. I was talking with a young man after last night's service and we were discussing about this very issue. You know, it's like we were discussing the, the importance of God's Word. He's one of our great young teachers. And we were talking about the importance of hearing it all. And I said to him, you know, it's, it's, it's like if, if I were on my deathbed. And, and I said to him, Wes, Wes, would you do me a favor? Would you go to my son and my daughter and would you tell them this, this, and this? And so he takes this, this, and this, and as he goes to my children after I die, he decides the middle this was a little bit too heavy. It might hurt my kids. And so he decides to tell them this, that, and this. And I gave him no right to tell my children this, that, and this. I asked him to tell them this, this, and this. And God Almighty... And His wisdom has written the Bible for you and me so that we might hear every single 
word of it, the blessings as well as the curses. Because he decides that you and I, being adults, when we hear the truth from his word, we will take that truth and we will process it. What will we then do with what we hear? And I am convinced, as a teacher of the Word of God, I am convinced that if I do not try to coerce you into believing, that you will believe on your own, just like Rourke did. And when you come to the belief that you trust in God on your own ability to hear what He has told you, it will become real. It will become the very essence of who you are. And nobody will be able to move you away from what you know is truth in your heart concerning what God has said to you. And so as a family, as a, as a, as a teacher and as a church that really puts an emphasis upon the Word of God, we do not want to change even one little bit of it. We want every word to be mentioned because God deemed it important. Otherwise, He would have not written it in these pages. And so that's our responsibility. And that's why as a church, we, we desire for you and me to go through this, this next year, studying through the New Testament together so that at the end of the year, 2009, we'll have a better comprehension of what the New Testament is really all about. And the following year, should the Lord tarry, in the year 2010, we shall study through the Old Testament and get a better understanding of what God wanted to say to us through the Old Testament. And if you and I do that as a church, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that there will be nothing that will stop this church. You see, it would be easy, honestly, it would be easy to draw crowds. Um, our location's not the best. We're almost like we're hiding you know, we've got to let people know where we are. But if we were to entice the people to come, we could give messages that uh, are very simple and kind of encouraging. And, and we can make this like some churches do into a nice country club. Uh, I mean, we already have the best cooks in town. Have you ever gone back there and eaten? It's just the best. We would entice people to come. But we don't want to entice people to come. You know what we want? We want God. My point is, is that I want God to bring people here. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, if we are faithful, if we are find favor with this community, if we find favor with this community, and by that it means if we teach and find favor with our God, He will add to our numbers daily people that are being saved. And so when I watch that video and I see work, it just boils within me my my spirit jumps in fact one of the sweet lady in the back told me as i was coming i greeted her merry christmas she said i just feel the holy spirit in this place and i do too i believe that god is moving in in our lives and amongst our church and i sense it and i sense it and i sense it and so let's make some sense about this place in Scripture as we talk about the birth of Jesus Christ. And you're going to say to me, I think, after you read this, where do you see the birth of our Lord? And I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you systematically as we go through verses 30 through 35. Read with me. After they won this battle in Ai, then it says in verse 30, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, in Mount Ebal. 
just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the sons of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones, um, which no man had wielded an iron tool, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. Verse 32, And then he wrote there on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written in the presence of the sons of Israel. And all Israel with their elders and officers and their judges were standing on both sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The stranger as well as the native, half of them stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given command at first to bless the people of Israel. Then afterwards, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. In other words, every person had the privilege of hearing. Let's pray and let's, let's, let's make sense of this. It's, it's such a marvelous place in the Word of God. Our Lord and Savior is all over these few verses. Father, please, please open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Teach us, Father. Teach us so that we might really catch the understanding of this time of the year, the very essence of why you gave a son to be born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. And, and so, Father, so that we might have everlasting life, you have given us your son as a gift, the finest gift that anyone could ever receive on a Christmas time. And Lord, for us to really comprehend all that we need to comprehend, would you please take me and move me aside? Would you hide the one, Father, that gives the message behind the very wonders and the very power and the very essence of your word? May it minister to each of us as, as only it can through your heart to ours. I pray these things, Father, in the most precious name on the face of this earth. I pray these things in the name of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Verses 30 to 33. Following the victory in Ai, Joshua took the people 30 miles north to a place called Shechem. That was, that was in a valley between Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And, and here the nation gathered together and obeyed Moses' command to read what was written within Scripture. In fact, let's take a look. The book just before Joshua is Deuteronomy... Look at chapter 27, just to the left. Go about four or five, maybe 10, 15 pages to Deuteronomy chapter 27. I want to read with you two places. First, I will read with you Deuteronomy chapter 27, verses 1 to 8, to get a glimpse of what Moses told Joshua to say to the people. And I'm going to add in the middle of this Exodus 20:25. You won't need to turn to it. But you can see that there's Deuteronomy 27, 1 through 8, and Exodus 20, 25. They both say the same thing. Moses, verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 27. Moses and the elders of Israel charged the people, saying, Keep all 
the commandments which I command you today. It's verse 2. So it shall be on the day when you cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God gives you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and coat them with lime. And then it says in verse 3, Write on them all the words of this law when you cross over, so that you may enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. So it shall be when you cross the Jordan, you shall set up on Mount Ebal these stones as I am commanding you today, and you shall coat them with lime. Moreover, it says in verse 5, You shall build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. Note, you shall not wield, or you, I guess it's wield, an iron tool on them. Exodus twenty twenty five says, Or if you do yield a, your tool on them, you will profane these rocks. You shall, verse 6, You shall build the altar of the Lord your God, of uncut stones, and you shall offer it on burnt offerings to the Lord your God. You shall sacrifice peace offerings and eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. You shall write on the stones all the words of the law very distinctly. Let me tell you what, they, what, what Moses and God had commanded the people. Plain and simple. They were not to apply any of their tools to the rocks that they gathered there to build an altar to the Lord. Here's why. It is amazing. The stones were to be picked in the field. They were to be laid there by God, so to speak. And God made it certain that all of them, no human work, no efforts on their part was to be associated with the sacrifice lest any one of them think that they are doing something to better what God has done. God said, these stones that I have laid out in this field, these stones you pick up, you can pick them randomly, but they are mine. Don't you dare put a tool to them. You see, we have no part, no part in all that God has done for us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you and I have been saved through faith. And that not of ourselves. It is what? It is a gift. A gift of God. It is not a result of works. Not a result of anything you and I do. Lest we should boast. Plain and simple. God commanded that this simple stone altar be built for Him and not one person was to put their hand to it. Not one person was to decorate it by human hands so that none of them, as it says also in 1 Corinthians one twenty nine, none of them would boast before God. This is my part. See, do you sense it at all? God doesn't need our help in doing anything for Him. All He wants is this. He wants your and my willful desire to love Him, to respect Him, to obey Him. And then He'll do all the rest. And so, 2,000 years ago, by the grace of God, He had born into this world in which you and I now live, a child. The child was born 
to become more than just a child. The child was born to grow up and to become the very Savior, the very Messiah of this world in which you and I live. And you see, when God says we're not to touch anything, He is saying it isn't the beauty or the thoughtfulness of our man-made religion. In other words, when churches gather together and change for whatever reason, the Word of God, try to make it more palatable for the people, that is not our right. You and I don't have the right to do that. We're to take every word that's written in here, the blessings as well as the curses, and we are then to deal with that in our own lives. And God knows that you and I are adult enough if we, if we listen and we hear His words and they move into our hearts, they will become our thoughts, our, our, the very essence of who we are, I guess I'm trying to say. And so it isn't our man-made religion. We are not free to change anything that God has done. It is not what, what we do, but what He does that gives us forgiveness. It is not what we do, but what He does to give us access to go to Him in prayer. And it is only on the altar. And what was done on the altar was blood was shed. The blood of an animal. In the Old Testament, God said, you are to kill an animal, place its blood on the altar, and that blood was a sign of your doing as I have asked, shedding blood for the forgiveness of your sin. Can you imagine if PETA was running wild in those days? Oh my gosh, they were killing animals left and right. PETA would have stopped that in a moment. Later, God had His Son born. The baby in the manger that we celebrate on Christmas. He had his son born so that he would grow up, tell people that he was the Messiah, that he was God on earth, and that he had come to this earth to give them the forgiveness of their sins. Just as the animal's blood was shed for the forgiveness of the people's sins, so he is saying, my blood will be shed for you for your forgiveness. And then he allowed himself to go to the cross, die on the cross, shed his blood on the cross that would set everyone who would trust and believe in him free from our sin. That baby, God, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your son. And Merry Christmas, people. Merry, Merry Christmas. You see, Leviticus gives us the, the truth. Bottom line, Leviticus 17.11 says, The life of the flesh is in the blood. Then God says in Leviticus 17.11, And I, God speaking, I, I myself, God says, have given it to you. I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your soul. Atonement means a payment. It is the blood, God says, by reason of the life that makes atonement or payment for your soul. That word atonement can also mean to be reconciled the reconciliation of the guilty by divine sacrifice. He makes payment. The writer in Hebrews says it very clearly. Hebrews chapter 9, verse, Hebrews 9, verse 22. Last part. 
the writer there says, without the shedding of blood, there is, do you know what? There is no forgiveness. Blood had to be shed. That baby that was born in a manger, that baby that we celebrate on Christmas morning, that baby grew up to go to the cross to shed His blood so that you and I might have the forgiveness of our sins. By the sacrifice of the blood upon the altar. In other words, the people were not to cut those stones. They were not to change those stones. They were not to change anything that God had asked them to do. They were to come to Him His way and His way alone. So are you and I. The only way that we can come before God by God's plan was to accept His Son, the baby that was born in a manger. And ask Him to forgive us of our sin and to accept the blood that He shed for our forgiveness, for our atonement. And so in doing that, then, in in the day of, of Joshua, the nation of Israel was assuring their God of their commitment, their fellowship, if you would, their obedience to and with Him and Him alone. Listen now, in the same way today, you and I, by our commitment and faith in His Son, that baby that was born in the manger, our commitment to Him, our faith in Him, we assure God of our obedience to come and to believe in Him in His fashion, not ours. Today, we live in what is called the age of grace, the church age. You see, the The child, Jesus Christ, was born in a manger. We celebrate this Christmas that fact. And He gives the ultimate gift to you and me. That gift that He gives is His grace. Grace means God's unmerited favor. In other words, we get what we do not deserve. God gives us that gift. And that gift is placed upon our eternal soul, we receive everlasting, eternal life through that baby that was born in a manger who grew up to die and shed His blood for our sin. Now in verses 33 through 35, all of Israel were facing the ark. The ark represented the presence of God amongst the people. It was there and then that Joshua and the Levites read the blessings and the curses that the Lord God gave to the people. But as you note in verses 33 through 35, it wasn't just the Israelites, it was all of the people, strangers, anyone who was there among them. God gave everyone an opportunity to hear all of His words so that everyone would have an opportunity to decide whether they wanted to follow this God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or not. It is a choice. And so just as God had promised, would you go back to Deuteronomy, the book just before Joshua, and look at the 11th chapter with me? You see, God said long ago that I am going to give you both the blessings and the curses. You have to decide what you're going to follow. And it is going to be my way, not your way. 
And so, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26, 27, 28, and we're going to look also at verse 32. In verse 26, God says, look, I am setting before you today a blessing as well as a curse. Verse 27, he explains, the blessing is if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding to you today, and the curse is, it says in verse 28, if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God but you turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today and follow after other gods which you have not known. I ask you a question just by reading that. How important is the Word of God? How much responsibility do we have as a church to preach the whole counsel of God's Word, to not change any of it? God says, don't take away the curses that you think is is hard for the people to hear. They need to hear that, God is saying, as well as my blessings. They need to hear both. And then God adds a very strong warning in verse 32 of Deuteronomy 11. He says, be careful. Be careful to do all the statutes and the judgments which I am setting before you today. He is warning them to obey the law. If we were to go back and look at Joshua chapter 1 again, verses 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, get to know that well. God says to Joshua through Moses, Joshua, don't you dare turn to the right nor to the left. You meditate on the word that I give you. Meditate on it day and night. Make it a part of your life so that then when you follow after what I've told you to follow, you will then find prosperity. You will then find success, he says. The word of God is everything. And so we are to obey the good as well as the bad. Now today, you and I, we live in a time that stands between a valley of two mountains. We stand today between Mount Calvary. That's where Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross. This baby that was born in the manger, he eventually went to a cross, Mount Calvary. And he died for the sins of this world. Luke 23 and John 19 tells us it's in Calvary. And there is also another mountain called Mount Olivet where we are told in Zechariah. Zechariah, if you want to find it, is the... If you, if you went to the New Testament in Matthew and then you went to the left, you go to Malachi and then you find Zechariah. So it's right next to the start of the New Testament. And we are told in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4, verse 4 that this one that we worship will return... This one called the Messiah, we know as Jesus Christ, they did not know who he was. They did not know that much about him in those days, except that they knew he was going to come. We know that he will come in his second coming, in power and in great glory. Zechariah 14.4 says, In that day, in other words, in the day when he will come, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives is going to be split in the middle from east to west by a very large valley. So that half of the mountain is going to move to the north. The other half of the mountain is going to move to the south. What we realize today is this. We realize what the Old Testament prophets saw concerning the Messiah. They saw Him coming, they saw Him suffering, and they saw Him in His glory. But what they didn't see is what you and I see today. We see the valley. They didn't see the valley. They saw all that happening in one time. You and I know that there are now two 
comings. There is the coming of Christ as the baby born in the manger who grew up to be a man who went to the cross to die for our sins. And we also see that in the future there is going to be a second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And He's going to come in judgment upon this world. You see, they didn't see that in that day. And in in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, it says, As to this salvation, this salvation that you and I now know, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to come to you made careful searches and inquiries. They never saw all that you and I see. Today, you and I are set free because of Jesus Christ. Yes, that very one whom we celebrate this Christmas season on Christmas morning in whom so many today are trying to reduce, if not just take away. I mean, what's going on up in Washington is just the tip of the iceberg. There are people who are trying to take away the very essence of Christmas. They're trying to take away the very essence of of who Jesus Christ is. They want to erase that as best they can. And now our friend, my friend, Kenny Hutchison is in the middle of a, of a, just a, a war that's going on up in the state of Washington concerning atheists and, uh, and true believers. And they're, they're, they're fighting in City Hall trying to get which sign goes up, which, where's the manger scene. And, and, and I, that's for Ken. Ken loves that. How I would fight it is to tell you about Jesus. To tell you about our Savior to teach you as deeply as I know how about how wonderful He is and how you can come and know and trust and believe in Him. And then by the grace of God, you will invite someone like O'Rourke to our church who would come to a Bible study, who is an agnostic, maybe an atheist, someone maybe like Wes Brown uh, many, many years ago who, who had no trust or belief in God and finally heard the Word of God being taught and gave his heart to Christ. That's how we win people to Christ. We can go fight in City Hall all we want. Let me tell you, all you're going to do is get a fight. When someone wants a fight and you want to get, in the, they want you in the mud, they'll get you as dirty as they possibly can get you. I say stay above it all. Our God doesn't need our help. He'll solve what's going on in Washington. He's going to solve those that don't trust in Him. The way He's going to solve it is when He touches a heart. Your heart. Your heart. Your heart. And your heart. And then you touch your friend's hearts. You touch your, your neighbor's heart. You touch your family's heart. You invite them to church. And then we watch God move in their lives when the whole counsel of His Word is being taught. And when people say, you know, I can trust in that. I can believe in that. Or they can say, I don't want any part of it. I've had many say that as well. That's not yours nor my decision. That is all God. When God said, when he, when he grew up to be a man, He said in John, God said this about His Son in John, well, you'll know the verse, John 3.16, For God, what? So loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that baby that was born in the manger, He gave that Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Verse 17, most people don't quote, For God did not send His Son into this world. He did not allow Him to be a baby just to judge us. He allowed His Son to be born so that the world might be saved 
through this baby, this wonderful one whom we worship. And so I beg of you, I beg of you, don't get so busy this year going here and there and making everything perfect in your homes. Don't get so busy that you miss the very essence of whom we are to worship, whom we are to love, and know Him and trust in Him. And so I say to you on behalf of this church, Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. And fall in love with your Savior. Receive from Him the greatest gift that could ever be given to anyone, and that is everlasting life. I love you more than I can put into words. I wish you the most wonderful Christmas. Now, you do me a favor. Pray that we can find another message like this concerning Christmas Eve so that I won't have to teach about you're going to be cursed. <laughs> I don't particularly want to do that. In fact, uh, we'll take a message that is purely about our Savior and we'll talk about the wonders of the birth. You can rest assured you'll be able to trust us with the people and the friends that you bring. I do love you. I can't even put it into words how much. I pray that your Christmas will be unbelievably wonderful. And by that I mean I pray that your love for Jesus Christ will grow, grow by leaps and bounds. Father, we thank you for your son. This baby was born in a manger some 2,000 years ago, grew up to be the one who was chosen to die for the sins of this world. And you let us know through the Israelites that when you built your altar and you chose or had them choose stones, they were not to touch those stones by anything they were to do. And you let us know that you have chosen a way for salvation and we're not to change not one second of it. It is your Son and He and He alone that will give us the forgiveness of our sins and truly make this time of the year a very merry and very wonderful Christmas for each of us. Bless, Father, these people that I love more than I can ever put into words. Father, you know well. You know well. God bless them all, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I do love you more than I can put into words. Have a great Christmas. I'll see you next week, and we'll travel back into chapter 9.